0: you are visiting, you're our guests. You can just pass the bag right along. Your being with us is already really special. Thank you so much for taking the time. I had the privilege last week of being in Johannesburg with our congregations there, and just so encouraging to see how how God is moving and growing those congregations, congregations planted out of our congregation. And it was really amazing to especially Sunday evening, to be in Johannes in the Sancton congregation and to see so many people in that church who come from here and to have the leaders there stand up and just say thank you. And I want to thank all of you guys because we don't always think about it, but even just your contribution, whether in prayer, whether in serving in church, whether in giving financially, whichever way you feel contributed, if you're led to contribute, your being here, helps to make it possible. It helps to make that we can raise up people who are, are truly disciples, who know Jesus and can go and serve in other congregations. And so I want to thank you guys for that. I want to thank you that even in Sunday after Sunday, in our know, doing our little thing here, the kingdom is advancing. And even as we broke the fast, thank you to all of you who were able to join for that. But I was just reminded again, you know, my children are I know my children are growing, because from time to time, I see photos of them growing. And Just yesterday, my one daughter, my, the youngest one, she walked past the couch, and I was lying on the couch, and she walked past, and there's a little side arm resting on the couch. And I just got this flashback of when she used to walk past, and she was shorter than that. She's almost a head longer now. But the crazy thing is that as much as I see my children grow, I don't see my children grow. I don't realize that they're a little bit taller today than they were yesterday. And they're a little bit older today than they were yesterday. It's all of these incremental, tiny little steps. But if I have a flashback moment or a photo or somebody hasn't seen them for a long time, looks at them and says, wow, they got so big. There's a little bit of exactly that which happens right here every single step. In the Lord's presence, we're growing. And every single week as we're preaching the word, as we're spending time in, in the Lord's presence, we're growing and the people around us are growing. And because we're involved in it, because we're here every week, we don't always realize the growth. Until there's moments where we step aside or we have a, a momentary flashback or a photo. And we realize, whoa, whoa, there's been so much growth here. And I want to encourage you guys just in that, that, God is doing something so beautiful and so precious. Let's keep praying into it. Let's keep pressing into it. Even this weekend is such a key part of that. Is we're going to be pressing into what God is doing in our midst. The two nights, the Friday night and the Saturday night, are basically going to be worship nights. Nights where collectively we come together and we just enter into God's presence and, like Sarah Ann was saying, just allow Him to change us, create space for us to enjoy Him. And we love for you to be there. One of the things this year that we've been spending a bit of time on for all of us is just around how we read Scripture. We've been taking the, first, the book of 1 John, and in this month we're looking at 1 John chapter 3 throughout March, and I'm not going to speak on 1 John chapter 3 explicitly today, but one of the things we've been saying to ourselves is, let's, let's talk about reading Scripture and how we read Scripture, how we interpret Scripture, one of the really important passages in the Old Testament, the New Testament. One of the people come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, one of the, the readers of the law, they say, Jesus, what is the most important things in all of the law? And I, Jesus answers them with this powerful question. He says, what does the law say? What is your reading of it? And so important, I think, is the question that we need to ask ourselves. What is our reading of the law? How are we studying the word? Even the... The church today, those of us who are reading 1 John 3, can I just so encouraged how John's writing and he's clearly writing to bring correction around some false teaching that's coming to the group that he's writing to. And I can imagine in, even in that time, obviously it, it was a challenge, but it's amazing just in today's world where anybody can publish a book and anybody can make a YouTube video and anybody can, can get their message out that It's so important that as believers we learn to understand the difference between the fake and the truth. And I remember one of, somebody said ages ago, it's always stuck with me, this analogy, because I was studying economics at the time and monetary policy and a whole bunch of things to do with money. And somebody said, how do you identify a fake 150 rand note? How do you identify a fake 150 well, if you know there is no 150 Rand note, then any 150 Rand note is obviously fake. In the same way, if you working, I used to work as when I was at school, I worked as a a, a scanner, a teller person at a pick and pay, you know, sitting there. My buddy and I, we used to race to see you can scan the most items in a minute to see you could be the quickest. You know, there's funny things that teenagers do. I think a whole bunch of people Big surprises when they open their Coke and other things when they finally got home. The whole day and somebody gives you a fake 50 rand or a fake 100 rand note, it's amazing how quickly your fingers can just pick up something is wrong with this note. The texture is just slightly off the color. There's just something that's not 100% about this note. And it's not because the pick and pay people brought us and they sit us down and They said, this is how you know what a fake 100 grand note looks like. It's just if you've been working with a real thing for a bit of time, it's really easy to pick up the non-real, the fake. And so as we're studying the word, one of the things that I I want us just to keep in the back of our mind this morning is that there is so much wanting to come into the church, wanting to come into our lives, wanting to put on itself a label of truth. And the best way to know what is true and what is not true is to know the truth so well. To know that when you pick up that thing that's not true, you can identify immediately and say, wait a minute, something about this isn't quite right. There's just something about this note that I've picked up that just doesn't quite fit in with all of the other notes, the money notes that I picked up this morning or in the last week or in the last month. And So we're wanting this year to pay attention to learning to read Scripture and to read it well to read it accurately, to be able to in, interpret it well. And as we, we do that over the last couple of months, we sort of identified a number of different ways in which we read Scripture. One of them is just by simply engaging with the text, just, we shared some questions about just asking, what is this actually saying? Not what I want it to say. It's amazing how we respond to Scripture when it says what we don't want it to say. When God says what we don't want Him to say. How do we respond in those moments? What does Scripture actually say? And then we looked a little bit at just doing a Bible study, just taking a word, a theme as it were, and just finding all of the Scriptures that relate to that word. And what does the whole of Scripture have to say about this one thing? Today I want us to do something very similar and ask a simple question. I don't know if you've ever wondered about this. My kids, I'm realizing more and more, are very stubborn. Very. If they want to do something, they're going to find a way to do it. If they don't want to do something, they're going to find a way not to do it. And as all parents know, the worst part about seeing those traits in your kids is knowing where they got them from. (laughs) And I realize I'm just as stubborn that I'm, I'm willing to do almost everything. As long as you give me a good reason to do it. The why factor. I remember many years ago sitting in a big church leaders conference overseas. And the pastor stood up and he spoke about the why factor. And I want to steal that title a little bit this morning and speak about the why factor. Why? Why do we do the things that we do? Why? Maybe take that just one little step further and say, why does God do the things That he does. Why? What is it that motivates God? What is God's reason for if you excuse this sort of the wording, what is God's reason for getting up in the morning? Not that he gets up in the morning, but what is God's reason for for doing what he does here on earth? The why factor? I also learned a couple of years ago in another trip overseas. You can have two titles, and you know the simple question this evening is maybe this morning rather is the main thing. The main thing, one of the big challenges we have as we read scripture is it's a complex book. And the chances are really, really good that if I spend my whole life studying that book and you spend your whole life really authentically, earnestly studying the book, we're going to get to the end of our lives. And we both from the purest of hearts still not going to agree on a couple of things. There are going to be a couple of things, hopefully the vast majority of things we are going to agree on. But there are going to be a couple of things we're probably not going to agree on. One of the things, one of the challenges that we need to always keep before us is we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Someone said the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. We need to find what is the main thing. What are the, the key things in Scripture that we need to pay attention to? It's amazing for me how often Scripture talks about getting tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. And the weird thing that I've learned over the years is those wind and waves of doctrines, those fads that come into the church, 99% of the time, there's some fringe thing. There's something which, if you sit down and think about it, is not core to the Christian faith. And we allow those things to throw us off course, and suddenly this thing, which maybe isn't completely unimportant, but is not the main thing, We suddenly escalate and and we want to make this the main thing of our faith. We want to have every discussion, everything, and we don't quite agree about this thing. And now I can only work with those who agree with me about this thing which isn't the main thing. And one of the things that we continually need to contend for in our own hearts, in our own lives, what are the main things? Because we can get upset about everything. Just pick up a newspaper today. There are a thousand things that you can get upset about. Have a conversation with somebody. I promise you, if you're looking to get offended, you'll be able to get offended. But if you're looking to extend grace, you'll be able to extend grace. And so, as we study the Word, as we we read, we need to ask ourselves, what is it? Sorry, this thing keeps closing. What is it that we want to read? What are the the priors? I don't quite want to call them assumptions, but As we read Scripture, there are a couple of basics which we all read from, maybe phrased differently. We all have basics that we read from. There are all certain things that we don't quite assume. I don't want to use the word assumption, but there are things that for us are foundational in our reading of Scripture. Hopefully for most of us this morning, one of those things is we read Scripture. I don't want to use the word assumption, but from the foundation that this is true that this is a historically accurate document. We read Scripture with an understanding that God is a living God and that He is real. Those are understandings, those are things that are are starting points as we read Scripture. And so as we read Scripture, some of the starting points we might realize, maybe that wasn't the best starting point, I need to reevaluate that. But some of them we need to strengthen As we read Scripture... Those themes come through and we read passages and we read books and certain themes come to the fore and rise to the top. And as we read more and more books of Scripture and study, we realize that these are are communal themes. These are themes that carry through the whole of Scripture. And those would be the main things. Not one verse that we maybe don't agree on its application, but these main themes that come to the fore want us this morning to think a little bit about what in God's eyes would be those main things. The main thing. There can be many important things in our lives. Because I think what I'm getting at this morning. where I want to move to. If we can find something which is the main thing for God. The focal point for God. His why. His motivation. What would our lives look like if we said, well God, let that be my motivation too. God, if this is why you do everything. What would my life look like if I did everything for that same reason? What would change about my loving, about my giving, about my sharing, about my praying, about my waking up in the morning if my motivation perhaps was to change ever so slightly? There can only be one the thing. There are a whole bunch of things, but there can only be one thing, which is ultimate, which is at the top. Maybe a different way to phrase it. If you had to summarize scripture, all of scripture in one verse, one verse, what would it be? Someone comes up to you and says, Philip, this book, this Bible that you read is incredibly, it looks amazing, but it's a thick book. And I'm, should I read it? What what would it be? There are a bunch of scriptures that, you know, we're not this morning probably going to find the answer, but let's draw up a short list of finalists. One of them would probably be something like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I'd put verse 17 in there, above verse 16 even, which says, for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him should be saved. Some of us would be Galatians 2, verse 20 type people, and we're like, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Maybe John 10 verse 10, a passage which I I love. It's the verse that led me to salvation. It says, the thief does not come except to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and may have it more abundantly. And so some of us here probably have our our favorite verses. The verse that for us all of scripture hinges around. I want to throw another verse into that finalist hat. Maybe not the winner. But I think at least has to be a finalist. Isaiah chapter 42 verse 8. Maybe not the verse that most of us would have thought of around a question like this. And it simply says this. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. Nor share my praise with carved images. I am the Lord. That is my name. That's a strong verse to, pray to put in. To say, Philip, why? why do you think this would be central? I think one of the reasons we're going to start examining God's motive verse is because if we're going to start examining God's motivation, we're probably going to come closer and closer to this verse all the time. I am the Lord. That is my name and my glory I will not give to any other. What we're going to see as we read through scripture over and over, This morning, when it's in the little bit of time we have left, we're going to share a whole bunch of scriptures. And one of the things I'd encourage you to do for those who are wanting to do a Bible study is go and Google the words, Google or Bible Gateway, somewhere where you can search just the words where the verse name and glory is found. And you're going to find an interesting parallel that God's name and His glory are intimately connected to one another. That for God, His name is His glory. His glory is expressed through His name. We find it here in Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. John chapter 12. For me, this is such a fascinating passage of Scripture. Just The picture here is Jesus is about to be arrested. He hasn't been arrested yet. He's at this point where He's wrestling with the reality of what He's about to go through. He's wrestling with, do I really go to the cross? And look at this incredible prayer he prays here in John 12. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. I love how he says, this is the reason I came. Why is the reason that Jesus came? Father, bring glory to your name. Then a voice spoke from heaven, saying, I have already brought glory to my name, and I will do so again. Here is Jesus at this this point of deep despair, this emotional wrangling that he's going through. And his prayer here fascinates me. His prayer here isn't, Father, and I'm not knocking any of these. These are all incredibly important biblical truths that I'm about to share. His prayer is not, Father, demonstrate your love to the world. His prayer is not, Father, redeem all of the brokenness back to you. His prayer isn't, Father, come and do all of the other thousands of amazing amazing things that God has come to do in this world. He has one prayer in this moment. His prayer is, Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. Some of you have been around church for a long time, would have heard this next statement that I'm about to make. I've been encouraged over the last while. Someone just challenged me, encouraged me, and said, Why don't we just re preach some of the sermons we preached over many years because it's you know, we are changing congregation. Some of us our minds change. Some of us, like me, we forget what we hear five or six, seven, eight years ago. And at the same time, we often have to remind ourselves that not everyone is sitting here today sat here five, six, seven years ago. So it's good from time to time to go and revisit some of the important thoughts and messages we shared on. So I want to make a a strong statement which you might not agree with me and it's fine. You don't have to agree with me. Looking at the why factor this morning and I want to hold before us maybe this one thing is a why. Then we look at some passages and hopefully towards the end of the morning maybe you you still won't agree with me but maybe you won't completely disagree with me anymore. The why factor. Why does God everything Here's a statement I want to make. Everything that God has ever done on this earth, He did for His name. For His name and for His glory. Strong statement, I know that. When is the last time you looked up at the the stars in the sky, the multitudes or had some of those Hubble space photos and those incredible things going on billions upon billions of light years away? Have you ever wondered why they are there? Why so big? Why so far? Why so glorious? Psalm 19 verse 1 tells us. It's not up here, I don't think. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. If it's there, it exists. Its purpose is to declare the glory of God. It has to be pretty spectacular. If it's declaring a spectacular glory. So let's look at some of the incredible things that God has done in most of our lives and is doing in our lives and let's ask ourselves why does god do them i've been created i'm pretty glad that i'm created i'm glad that my kids have been created i'm really glad my wife has been created i'm glad that you guys were created i hope you're glad that you were created that you're not here by accident that you were formed in your mother's womb have you ever wondered why Isaiah 43, verse 7, maybe says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have for my glory. It was I who created them. You know why you were created? You were created for God's glory. Psalm 25, verse 11. I'm thankful that my sin is forgiven, it's washed away. One John we've been reading this last couple of months so powerful over and over, this theme that the blood of Jesus is enough for our sin, that our sins are forgiven. Why? We're going to look at this prayer a little bit later. Psalm 25 verse 11. He's praying here and he says, For the honor of your name, Lord, forgive my many, many sins. David prays, he says, God, forgive my sin and do it for your name. Another verse you can go Google or a passage you can go look up in Scripture to see how often it happens and go read all of the hundreds of verses that it's going to bring out. Or go search this phrase, your namesake. Or just namesake, because sometimes He's God speaking in the first person, and it's my namesake. You're going to be astounded at how many verses come forth with those thoughts. The New King James' this passage says, it. that's the wording that's used, for your namesake. 1 John 2 verse 12, we've been reading it the last month. I write to you little children, because your sins are forgiven. And why are your sins are forgiven? For His name's sake. You know why your sins are forgiven as you sit here? For His name's sake. God's forgiven you your sin for His name, for His glory. Similarly we're saved. I am thankful that I am saved. I'm being continually saved and Salvation is being worked out and all of that. I'm saved as well. I'm saved from the punishment of death. I'm saved from my own sin. Do You know why I'm saved? Psalm 79 tells us that help us, God, of our salvation. Help us. Why? For the glory of your name. Deliver us and provide atonement for our sins. Why should he do that? For his name's sake or for your name's sake. We've been forgiven for his name's sake. We were Created for his name's sake. We were saved for his namesake. In the old testament, we read about the people of Egypt, <coughs> sorry, people of Israel coming out of Egypt. And then they wandered around. They were meant to go into the promised land. Eventually they did go into the promised land. That speaks to us sort of in our, our modern language, our modern understanding of the faith, of us coming from our slavery, our sinful old, coming into Christ and being. Drawn into a new life with Jesus. Talk about that being delivered. Being God taking us from where we were in the world. And He sets us free from a bunch of stuff. From slavery and the slavery to sin. And He brings us into a newness of life. You know why He does that? I'm going to read two passages here. The first one is in Ezekiel chapter 20. And the context here is God was really angry with the people of Israel because of the way they had sinned, and he wanted to destroy them. And then he says this in Ezekiel 20 verse 9, But I didn't do it, for I acted to protect the honor of my name. In other words, there where you were sinning and God didn't destroy you, do you know why He didn't destroy you? Because He acted to protect the honor of His name. I would not allow shame to be brought on my name among the surrounding nations, who saw me reveal myself by bringing the Israelites out of Egypt. And then Ezekiel chapter 36, he speaks about that he did bring them out of Egypt. He delivered them from Egypt and he took them to the promised land. And then they were scattered amongst the nations from the promised land repeatedly. And then they get taken sort of captive and then they find their way back to Israel and God delivers them. And then there's another captivity and they get captured from the prom- by foreigners. and Taken away to foreign lands. And then back to Israel. But when they were scattered. Among the nations. They brought shame on my holy name. For the nations said. These are the people of the Lord. But he couldn't keep them safe in his own land. Then. I was concerned for my holy name. On which my people brought shame. Among the nations. Therefore. Give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know. That I am the Lord. We're beginning to see a couple of things that, that God has done. And we're asking, why did God do it? And over and over, the same theme seems to be. He did it for one reason. He did it for the glory of His name. Psalm chapter 23. We all know the psalm. Beautiful psalm. I did a wedding last week, two weeks ago. And spoke on this psalm at the wedding. Love this passage. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It carries on through that. And then in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. God leads us in the right way. In the way that we should go. He leads us in truth. He, He leads us in the thing that we should do with our lives. And do you know why he does it? For his name's sake. And as we do that, maybe stirring just a little bit in our hearts. A little bit of, what if we were to do it for the same reason? This is passage, I don't have it up here. I'm, I was just reminded as I was praying this morning of two examples Jesus gives us in Scripture. The one is of a field. and He says that the kingdom of heaven, and I'm encouraged by that because it's not only relationship with Jesus. He's saying the kingdom of heaven, which goes beyond our relationship with Jesus. Obviously, our relationship with Jesus is the starting point. But he says the kingdom of heaven. is like a person who went and he found a pearl of great price. And he went and hid it in a field. And then what does he go and do? He goes and sells everything that he has to go buy that field. And so as we come before God, as we... We're thinking about his name. I'm challenged by that. I'm, I'm challenged by, Jesus says that if I've truly found the kingdom, I've come to a place of total abandon. If I've truly found the kingdom, then fasting isn't a problem, and coming to a prayer night is not a problem, and going to a small group, I do that because everything, I give up everything to find that which entails the kingdom. Yes, it costs me something, but I give up everything I can to buy that field because in it is a pearl of great price. If you guys ever wondered about David's sin? God's reaction to David's sin. David's sin specifically to Bathsheba. So what happens is David is the king. And the way I always see this is here is a king. And he's built himself a nice house. And if you're staying sort of in the suburb of Jerusalem close to David, you make sure you don't build your house bigger than the king. So there will be at least one brick lower, probably a little bit more, but it doesn't seem like a wise thing to do to build a house bigger than the king's house. So you, you just turn it down just a touch. And so what we had in those days is the baths are on the roof. So David, as the king, has an opportunity to go on his roof, and as he's on his roof, he's able to look down on all of the other roofs. And he does this. And he looked down. He's looking down on the other roofs as the ladies are taking a bath. And as all pornography does, it drives him to action. One day, he sees a woman who, to him, is exceedingly beautiful, and he has her come over, and he effectively rapes her. Her name is Bathsheba. The crazy thing for me about this is her husband. We're going to read about him now. Her husband's name is written as one of David's. For David, his personal protection, the guys who are his, his best fighters, his name is there. But David rapes this woman. And then it comes out that she's fallen pregnant. So as all good politicians do, he decides it's time for a cover-up. And he sends for the husband. And he has the husband come over and the husband says, there's no way I can go in and sleep with my wife. While my friends are all out making war. David's thinking was, well, let's the, let the husband come and then all they can say, it's a little bit of a premature baby, whatever it may be. You know, we can cover this thing up. But the guy doesn't go into his house, doesn't see his wife. And so the rage, the fear in David builds up. And David writes a note. This man's death sentence. He folds it up and he puts his royal seal, seal on it and he, Gives it to this man and this man runs with it back to the war and he gives it to the general and the general opens it and the general reads it and he's like, well, but people are going to die if we do this. And David's message sort of in cryptic form to the general is, well, that's the point. I want this man to die. This man ends up dying. God sends a prophet to David and says, David... That is probably not the best thing ever. David repents. He apologizes to God. He realizes he has done incredible wrong. And so God speaks to him about the sin. And it is fascinating for me to read what God has to say to David about this sin. Watch what he says here in 2 Samuel verse 12. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I read that I'm like, whoa, God of all of the things that you can be upset about, you are upset about your name. God could have pulled out a list this long and said, David, because of, because you have not obeyed my commandments, because whatever, you missed, you haven't loved the people well. He could have just, there could have been such a long list that God said, because of that reason. And yet he doesn't. He says, David, Because of my name. Because of my name. Just as an aside, it's interesting for me when you watch Hollywood movies or whatever. I've watched a few in my life. And I have never. Maybe I've missed it. It might be out there. But I haven't seen the movie. Where somebody takes the name of Buddha in vain. Or of one of the thousands of the Hindu gods. Where that name is used in vain or where the name of Muhammad is used in vain, or where the name, but there is something about the name of Jesus that the enemy knows that if he can take something about the glory of this name away, he's speaking right into the heart of God, right into that which touches God most. Of everything that God could have been upset about David about, the one thing David, God, says, David, I can forgive you all of the other stuff. Accept this one thing. You have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And because of that, the child has to die. There has to be judgment. I cannot let this sin go unpunished, David. What is the sin? The sin is that you've created space for my name to be blasphemed. We're looking this morning a little bit at, at a why. Why does God do? What is it that motivates, that drives God? Is it possible that everything that God has ever done here on this earth, He did for His name? So I want us to look at a couple of passages of Scripture now. Passages that we maybe read often. Passages that you may be familiar with. Passages you may be able to quote. But interestingly, passages which nine times out of ten, when we pray them, when we read them, when we preach them, we miss the whole point. I'm not wanting us to read scripture. I heard somebody say this week, somebody who I trust very much tell me about a, another minister. We were just talking about hermeneutic and about reading scripture a while and those things. And he said he has heard this person from another well-known church movement. He said he's, he's heard him himself. I haven't heard him, but this friend who I really trust has heard him. He said, I heard him say that I believe in the supernatural. So I'm going to read the scripture as if it's supernatural. Even if it's not in there, I'm going to put it there the sad reality is that it's bad Bible reading. That causes us to see things which are not in the Scripture. It causes us to insert things. And that causes us to begin to preach a whole bunch of stuff which is not from Scripture. And so it's so important that when we read Scripture, we don't do that. We allow Scripture to tell us what is in Scripture. One of the ways in which kind of this was made manifest, the same person who said that, preached the message about the storm where Jesus calmed the wind and the waves, and his whole point was that it was a demonic storm. And you ask him, why is it a demonic storm? And he says, because I choose to see the supernatural in everything. And my argument to him is, so Jesus is not the one whom the wind and the waves obey. See, in our doing that, we're We're taking away the power of that message. The power of that whole story is Jesus, the one who is Lord of all creation. And even the wind and the waves obey Him. It wasn't the fact that it was a demon that He addressed that silenced the storm. It's the fact that He has His hand over all of creation. It makes Him so much bigger and greater. There's this to do. But what I do want us to do is to be aware to see when things are in Scripture. And then to read them well. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, a passage many of us know well. We sing often, you've probably prayed this. Now to him who is able, who's prayed this, who knows where this verse is going? A couple of us, who's sung this before, something along those lines. Who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Normally, that's the focus of that verse when we quote it. Is this God who is able to do all of these amazing things through us. If you look at this purely linguistically, you just slow down and you read it. You read it that that's not what the verse is saying. That's a description of God and all of those things are true. I'm not taking anything away. But that's not the focus of the verse. What is the focus of the verse? To Him. Who is Him? Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly. Above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him... Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. What is the focus of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 and 21? To him be glory. To him be glory. If you have to summarize that verse, that would be the summary of what the author is trying to tell us here. And yet somehow in our reading, that's the bit we often miss. We read the description of God and we don't miss the why we are writing about this God. Another one we find in Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore, God has elevated him, that's Jesus, to the place of highest honor. Given him the name above every other name. Most of us have probably prayed this at some stage in our life too. That at the name of Jesus, we've sung this. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And normally when we read and when we pray that, we put a full stop right there. And we end the thought there. Except the scripture doesn't end there. The song shouldn't end there. The prayer shouldn't end there. Why has God elevated him over all of this and given him the name above every other name? To the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father and I'm so, ashamed isn't the right word, but so aware that how often when I read Scripture, I I miss the main message of what Scripture is trying to tell us because I get sucked up into the nice words, the things that catch it. Do you know why we worship Jesus? Do you know why the name of Jesus is above every other name? Do you know why we bow before Christ and why every knee will bow? I had a friend pastor at a church in Jeffreys Bay. He's now a pastor in a great church in Canada. We did outreach with him many years ago. And every now and again, you'd have the person who's opposed to the gospel. And I'd love this pastor. Peter was his name. Peter would just simply say, kind of, when somebody's really opposed to the gospel, he just look and smile and say, he too will bow. <laughs> he too will bow. Every knee will bow. But do you know why we bow? To the glory of the Father. To the glory of the Father. There is something about the glory of God and His name that is central to everything that God has ever done here on this earth. Sitting here today, I wonder what is the most important promise to you in all of Scripture. Hopefully you have some promises from God. Hopefully they're scriptural and they're drawn from Scripture. If they're not yet, I know what invite you, come forward, and we're going to pray that God would give you a promise. Maybe He won't give you a promise in this moment. We're going to trust with you that as you study the Word, God's going to give you promises from the Word. I want it to you. What are the most precious ones? What are the ones that you hold on to the most? What is the one that God, God, you've given me all of these promises, and all of your promises are yes and amen. I know they're all going to come to pass, so just with me for a moment. But if I can only hold on to one, If I can only choose one, God, if I have to let everything else go, what is the one that I will hold on to? What is the one that I've read from you and about you and received from you? But how about this one? Find it in Habakkuk chapter 2. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. God, if nothing else, God, there's only one thing that beats in my heart that I want to happen, God. There's only one thing that I'm going to pray for and trust for. Yes, all of these other things, God, they're really precious and important to you. And don't throw them away. It's not what I'm saying. But God, if there has to be one that just bubbles up to the top over all of them, God, can my prayer be this? Lord, with the whole earth be full with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Once again, this verse for me is as interesting in what it says and what it doesn't say. Once again, I'm not knocking any of these other truths. They are all crucially important and foundational to our faith. But it's fascinating to me that it does not say the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the grace of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the love of the Lord. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the whatever else is important to you about Jesus of the Lord. It could very well say that, and it wouldn't necessarily be wrong if it said it. Except that's not what the Holy Spirit chooses to zoom into when Habakkuk writes this. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so this morning, I'm wanting to encourage us just a little bit to ask God, if this is, maybe you don't completely agree with me yet. That's fine. You don't have to. But God, maybe. God, maybe if, if a large part of your motivation is your glory and, and your name, God, what would my life look like if, if I were to say, God, would you make that my motivation? Practically, can I throw some things out here for us? I love my wife. I really do. She's precious. She's amazing don't think she's here so I can say this, but she knows it. You know, as much as I love her, my primary motivation in loving her is not for her, it's for Jesus. I love her because it brings glory to her name, oh, to his name. I honor him, honor her, respect her, lift her up, pray for her because it brings glory to his name doesn't matter what we go through. Divorce is not an option for me because I need to bring glory to His name. If we fight, we've got to figure this out because we have to find a way to bring glory to His name. The way I raise my children, the way I speak to them, the way I pray my prayers, the way I drive drive my car, here's a big challenge for me. Driving in traffic, God, right now the way I'm driving my car is of bringing glory to Your name. The way I'm writing this email, phrasing this email, speaking to this telemarketer. God, is it bringing glory to your name? I wonder what our lives would look like if we were to wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, for today, one thing, only one thing. I want to bring glory to your name. In everything I do, act, everywhere I go. Tonight, when I put my head on the pillow, Jesus, one prayer, one question, that I bring glory to your name. God, this conversation I'm about to have, it's a really hard conversation. God, I want to bring glory to your name. This business deal that I'm about to do, Jesus, I want to bring glory to your name. This test I'm about to write. This question of morality and integrity that I'm faced with. I want to bring glory to your name. So I want to leave us as we close this this morning with two passages. One is on a find in Isaiah chapter 26 verse 8. Some of us may know this verse really well because Louis Giglio and the verse 8 simply says this. Yes, which is a fantastic prayer whenever you're praying to Jesus. Just yes. <laughs> Great way to start. Yes, yes, Lord. In the way of Your judgments, O oh Lord, we have waited for You. The desire of our soul is for Your name and the remembrance of you. The desire of our soul is for your name. We live in a world that's all about glory. The glory of me and my name, and people are standing up for me and my name, and put my name up in lights. What if we were to step away from all of that and say, God, this life exists for one purpose. The glory of your name. The New Living Translation phrases it this way, Lord, we show our trust in you by obeying your laws. Our heart's desire is to glorify your name. Your name. I wonder this morning, what is the biggest desire in your heart? And if it is not to bring glory to his name, don't feel condemned, don't feel ashamed, don't want to run out and say, who am I? I am a loser. I don't even know. That's not what we're saying. what I am saying is, what if we begin to pray and say, God, right now, God, I have a desire, Lord, for a big car, God, and I've got a desire for a wife or a husband and a spouse, God, I've got a desire for family, I've got a desire for all of these crazy things, Jesus, which I believe would be from you, God, but God, I want to begin to pray differently, God, will you change my desires? Not that there's anything wrong with any of those other desires, God, but God, could you instill a desire in my heart that supersedes all of those desires? God, would you begin to work in me to say, God, those other things, they're beautiful and they're precious. But I want the desire of my heart, the desire of my soul, to be for the remembrance of your name, for your glory. God, I want that to be the the why, the why I wake up in the morning and the why I go to work. Whatever your hand finds to do, what does scripture say? Whatever your hand finds to do, how do we do it? Do it with all of my might as unto the Lord. God, I want to do it for you. I, I want to do it in a way that is just not the best, Lord. God, my speech is hard and harsh and sometimes even I cuss and these other words that come out, God, God, I want to begin to speak in a way that glorifies your name, God. And right now I don't. And God says, that's okay. But God, I want to begin to. God, I want to move in, in that direction. And so I've got a really simple prayer for us to pray as we close this morning. In Psalm 71, verse 8. A prayer that you can take away. A, a prayer that you can say, God, I, what if I started to make this my prayer? God, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. God, how about I start there, God? What if every morning as I wake up, Lord, I simply pray this as a starting point. God, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. And tonight as I go to bed, my mouth and my life, thank you for those times, for those moments I was able to have my mouth and my life by implication, fall with your praise and with your glory. God, there were areas where I didn't. God, tomorrow, would you pour grace in my life so that I can get those right tomorrow? Hey, let's grow in that. Let's keep that. The main thing in our lives, the main thing. I wonder what our lives would look like if we were to say, Jesus, the most important thing to me, the main thing for me, God is... Theologically and otherwise is is not whether we're baptizing a person in the water one time or three times. You laugh about it. Churches are split over those things. About the size of the wafer cookie that we have communion with. Is it a meal or is it a wafer cookie? It's an important question to ask. We should wrestle with the Holy Spirit around that. But God, let me keep the main thing, the main thing. God, what if two hours to say, God, if whether I'm doing the wafer cookie or whether I'm doing the meal, Lord, whether I'm doing the whole glass of, of red wine or just a grape juice cup, God, let it be for your glory. Lord, when I'm praying, let it be for your glory. God, when I'm going to family camp, let it be for your glory. When I come to a Sunday service, let it be for your glory. When I go home to my family, let it be for your glory. Tomorrow morning as I drive to work and when I'm at work, let them be for your glory. When I pick my clothes, God, let it be for your glory. When I decide on a spouse, Lord, let it be for your glory. When I speak to my business partner, let it be for your glory. When I speak to my business competitor, let it be for your glory. What would our lives look like if we said, God, this main thing is the main thing. God, the thing which is the why, the big why for you. God, could you make it a big why for me? Can we stand this morning as we pray? I'd love to pray with us just around this theme just for a moment. Lord Jesus, this this morning I'm so thankful that you've given us your word, which is living and which is powerful, God, which teaches us, which inspires us, which leads us in righteousness, which corrects us when we are wrong and shows us the way that we should go. So this morning, God, we bring our hearts before you. I bring my heart before you. And I pray Holy Spirit, Father, to us, Lord. God, you are the Lord. That is your name and your glory you will not give to another. And so Holy Spirit, come this morning. and Just give us an understanding of that, Lord. God, I pray... I know so many of our hearts here this morning, my heart as well, God. There's just such an important but a subtle realignment that's happening, God. It's like you're coming and you're just taking the map of our life and just ever so slightly adjusting it, Lord, and and just recentering us around you and which matters to you, God. I know you've been doing it in my life, Lord. And I know you're doing it in some other lives right here, right now, Jesus. So God, we just want to pray that simple last verse, Lord, as a prayer. Lord, we pray that our our mouths, Lord, would be filled with your praise and with your glory all of the day. Just where you're standing, if God's stirring something in your heart about this right now where you are, you just take a moment and respond to him. If you know there's an area in your life you need to realign, maybe just the whole focus of your life. Maybe a specific thing, maybe something that you did in this week and you realize, oh God, I, I didn't bring you glory there. God, will you lead me to bring your glory in that? Maybe you're wrestling with the question right now and the prayer that you just need to pray is, God, this decision I need to make, God, what is it that will bring you glory? life hasn't always brought you glory Lord but even this morning God I just want to recommit. and commit that I will live for your glory God that I was created for your glory Jesus I was shaped and formed and put together perfectly within my mother's womb for your glory I exist for your glory and this whole world Lord wants to pull me away from that but even this morning I just choose to step away and to step near to you again and to say God I want to live for your glory I want to make decisions for your glory and Lord I want to lead for your glory I want to follow for your glory so I thank you spirit that right now this something so beautiful and precious happening in lives, Lord God. I thank you that right now, in this hall right now, I I know, God, not only our eternal destiny is being rewritten, God, but the whole path of some lives, Lord God, are being realigned, Jesus. This is not a moment we choose to take lightly, Lord. It's a moment we choose to dwell in and to allow you to do in our hearts what only you can do, God. I just says, God wants to say that the one thing that cannot happen is that you cannot walk out of here and say, I'm going to live for God's glory from now on. You don't have it within you to do that. The only way that we can begin to move in that direction is if we were to step back and to allow God to transform and shape our heart. one thing purposing in our hearts, saying, God, I so wish to do this, and I I choose to do it in that context, but you cannot do it in your own strength. It's not a decision you can make by yourself. It's nothing you can bring to pass by yourself. It's only when the Spirit grabs hold of our hearts. So I want to encourage us this morning just to take a bit of time. I'm going to ask Natalie and the team just to continue to lead us in time of song. I want to encourage you this morning, don't leave from here until you know you've finished speaking to God about this element. If you would like someone to pray with you, if God's speaking to you, and you just want to respond. You say, oh God, I I just want to step forward and I know you're speaking to me and I want to create just a moment that I can point back to tomorrow and next week and next year and 10 years down the line and say, that morning I know God did something in my life that's you and you want to step forward we're going to pray with you just around this just create a monument a moment that you can pinpoint and say that was the mo- I know that was the moment maybe you're there and you're just right now just speaking to God wrestling with God you just keep doing that if you do need to go you're welcome to go thank you so much for your time this morning I pray That in this week coming, your lives, your mouth, your conduct would be filled with God's praise and with His glory every single day. May that be the one thing that just burns brighter than anything else within you. In Jesus' name, God bless you. If you need prayer, you step forward. We love you.